Welcome back to episode two of the Metal Exchange podcast. Justin Kramer and Chris Nietzsche here with you for another exciting week. Uh, before we start, I, I think before we get into Halloween and, and Walls of Jericho, which is an album that I think we both have some uh, a ton of thoughts on and some anecdotes we'd like to share with you all. I think that first and foremost, we have to give a big thanks to everyone that tuned into our first uh, our first episode. Uh, we were absolutely floored by the response. So thank you all for, for tuning in. We had people come in and uh, basically contact us off the air, tell us uh, you know that they really enjoyed the show and, and really gave us some nice feedback. And we actually had a bunch of people tuning in from all over the world, which was a pleasant surprise. Uh, yes, I mirror those sentiments. I, I would have been happy if like, you know, a handful of people that were all our friends listened, but the fact that we've been getting some following on Instagram and uh, Facebook and, and what have you. Um, it's been a pleasant surprise. So I'd like to also say thanks to everybody that's listened and, um, you know, sent feedback and, and commentary and, and we invite you to do so going forward. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for the, uh, for the support. And uh, before we, before we turn it over to Halloween, uh, listen to anything else uh, noteworthy this week, anything good or strike you uh, as worth noting before we, before we get into it. Uh, off the top of my head, I really enjoyed the new Armored Saint album, Punching the Sky. Um, I feel like they never really disappoint when it comes to their new releases. Uh, and also on uh, Friday, the band Phantom Elite um, released a new single from uh, their upcoming album, and I really enjoyed that tune. So I definitely would recommend, and I just want to make sure that I mention the name of the song. Um the name of the song is Diamonds and Dark, and it's going to be on their Titanium album, which I believe is going to be released either later this year or early next year. But uh, I definitely recommend that single. It's very good. Nice. Uh, I had never heard of the band, but I went back and I checked out their last album, which was uh, a nice listen. And going back to Armored Saint for a second, they can they can do no wrong. They're they're the model of consistency themselves. And uh, the new album was 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 an enjoyable listen. So. Uh, Highly recommended there as well. Um, just to uh, give you a couple of my thoughts on, on what I heard this week, uh, there's a band out of Denmark called Defecto. Uh, very uh, obscure band, I guess, in the sense that they really just haven't kind of hit it yet. I first heard them in 2017. They, are, they had come out with an album called Nemesis, which uh, is a fantastic, fantastic album. Their new album called Duality came out this week and I've listened to it a couple of times now and I was kind of floored. They're like a melodic uh, metal band, catchy hooks, but with crunchy guitars. The singer's been in a bunch of different bands. He's sang for Section A. He sang for, uh, he's been singing for Evil Masquerade for the 20, uh, since 2016. Uh, just a really well put together uh, band from Denmark that I, I highly recommend. So check out their new album, Duality, if you have a chance. Um, and then shifting gears away from melodic metal, but another prog band that I have loved for years, Wolverine, came out with a new EP um, yesterday. It was a complete surprise. I woke up and I went into, you know, I, I was just kind of, you know, checking things out or what have you. And up pops uh, a new Wolverine EP that they had released on their website. Uh, it's called A Darkened Sun. It's about 28 minutes long. Um, for those of you who haven't heard the band, they are really hard to describe. They're kind of a mix between a Riverside and a Catatonia, I would say. Um, really, really, really great stuff. If you've, if you've never heard them, I, I certainly recommend you going to their website to go check it out. It's uh, www.wolverine-overdose.com. 
com and you'll see it. It pops right up on their website. Uh, and ultimately, there is a link to an external YouTube page, but I don't think you can access it yet from YouTube. So go to their website and check that out. It's just a phenomenal, phenomenal EP. I won't spoil it for you, but I'll say this. It's it's one of those things that's actually worth watching while you listen um, because it does. there's a tremendous uh, story that goes along with the EP and, and the video that uh, goes along with it really just um, puts it over the top. Uh, it hasn't been released on major outlets yet, so you definitely have to go to the website to both hear and listen to it. So highly recommended there. Yeah, I, um, I actually, I checked yesterday when you told me about it. I checked on iTunes and um, I didn't see it on iTunes, so I'm guessing it hasn't been uh, released, you know, officially outside of their their website so um yeah that's I, i'd say that's right um so for both of these bands uh defecto and wolverine check out their new stuff obviously armored saint uh, a classic and um you know it, certainly we uh we probably will cover these bands in long form at some point in the future but um you know that's that's something to look forward to uh anything else or no i think uh pretty much sums it up for uh the past week Nice, nice. Um, with that, let's shift gears and get into the reason why we are here today, which is The Walls of Jericho, Halloween's first uh, release going back to all the way to 1985. Although, in full disclosure, what we listened to was the CD release, which obviously had some additional tracks because of an EP that's kind of added on to the end. So uh, why, why don't I turn it over to you for a little bit of the history on this, because you are the uh, the resident Halloween historian. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Um I used to run a Halloween fan site called Future World and and um I I started with my own Halloween website and the person who uh Chris Scarrett who uh started the Future World website it was actually the first Halloween website prior to their official site and he brought me on to help um just do some of the the webmastering duties because he had kind of let it slink by <clears throat> over the years so um through that, I, I got a lot of, of um, insight into the history of the band and, and they, you know, have slowly become my all time favorite, you know, classic power metal band. Um, they were one of the first bands I heard going back to last week's discussion about Fate's Warning. That same mixtape um, had Eagle Fly Free on it. And um, that was kind of my introduction to what would become a huge fandom. Um shifting gears to walls of Jericho. Um, it, I remember when I bought this album, um, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into because this isn't, you know, talking about a pre, uh, you know, pre Spotify world. Like it was just kind of like, you know, if you had heard a couple of tracks, you knew that Kai Hansen, was the vocalist. Uh, but beyond that, didn't really know a whole lot. So, um, uh, so I picked up this album blindly just to collect, you know, I'm collecting all these Halloween albums and, you know, of course I want to hear this, this debut album and, and kind of the beginning of, of where the band started. And, um, so I remember going to the, the wall, if you recall the wall, uh, at the Lake success shopping center and, I can't remember if you were with me, but I know our friend Brian was with us. And I remember he bought the um, Rob Zombie album with Dragula on it. I can't remember what the name of the album was, but I definitely huh. remember him buying that. And I was, I think it was just at that point where it was kind of like, 
we bought all of the obvious albums that you would be able to find in an American CD store, your, your fates warnings and your, your man of wars and your sabotages. And, and probably I already had the two keeper albums and, and some of the Darius era stuff as well. Um, so it was time, you know, I saw walls of Jericho sitting there. I was like, I guess it's time for me to, to buy this album, which I did. And, um, so before I kind of go into my first experience listening to it, like Justin said, a little history. Um, originally, the band's first real official release was a five-track uh, mini LP, which had uh, Starlight and Murderer and those songs on it. And then the Walls of Jericho album itself, which was the band's first full-length LP. Um, I guess the, the Halloween, they called it a mini LP I mean, nowadays we'd probably just call it an EP, but um, so Walls of Jericho was their first full length LP. And that started with the intro track, Walls of Jericho, Ride the Sky, etc. Most people that bought the album on, on CD in later years probably knew it all to be one full album of everything combined, plus the, the Judas single tacked on to the end. Uh, so that's what we listened to. Um, I kind of look at it as as that is like the the all encompassing Walls of Jericho album is all of those parts of it. So yeah, I think at this point I would agree. I, I think everything is just kind of meshed into one. I, and, and obviously you de- you detailed the history, but um, you kind of look at it as one big package, I guess, at this point, or at least that's what I do when I when I when I when I think about it. Um, just going back to when I first heard it. Um, I was a I was a Halloween fan from from the minute I heard them, but I had I hadn't heard this album until I think around 1999. And the reason I say that is I, I remember I remember going on Ticketmaster, and don't ask me why, but I went on Ticketmaster back in 1998, and I typed in Halloween, which was kind of a joke because I just. I, I don't even know what really caused me to do this. And sure enough, a show pops up in New York City about a month out where Halloween is playing at a club uh, in the West Village. And I think I was like, I, I don't know if I was either shocked or if I thought it was a different band. But I remember even telling you, I'm like, I, I think there's a Halloween show coming up next month. And and sure enough, we bought tickets. And in fact, Halloween was doing a one-off show in New York City. And the reason I bring this up, uh, they were touring for Better Than Raw. They had just come from um, South America. And when they came to New York, they played a full-length headline show in New York City, completely random. I don't even think that the show got promoted. But the reason I bring this up is the last song from the set list was How Many Tears. And it was the only song I didn't recognize. And, and I remember enjoying the song, but just not really knowing where the song came from. Um, and, and shortly thereafter, I realized that it was on the debut album. And that's when I picked it up and really heard the whole thing for the first time. And uh, remind me, how much were those tickets? I think they were like 12 bucks or 15 bucks. <laughs> it, it, it was it was a long time ago, but I'll tell you, it was a show that I will never forget. It was the first time I actually went to a show in a club. I was, what, 17, 16 at the time, 16, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was also the last time that I think I went to a show without earplugs because I think I, I have permanent hearing loss uh, from that show. But it was it was one of the most memorable shows I've ever been to now having been to hundreds and hundreds of them. It was it was phenomenal. And it was also cool to see that lineup, which we never got to see again because they were they obviously the band uh went through a series of lineup changes since then uh that's absolutely i i was with you at that show and uh just kind of an unbelievable experience i was definitely my first heavy metal like club show i mean i think i had seen dream theater at like jones beach but 
I think that was I was definitely my first like like kind of dingy like hole in the wall kind of club experience seeing Halloween. Um, I had a midterm the next day that I failed, um, but <laughs> I have no regrets. <laughs> I, uh, I I think that place probably held two or 300 people. And I think that that was well over code because I just remember being, uh, there was not a lot of room to move. Let's put it that way. The place was probably not bigger than my living room, which is not very big. So it was, uh, it was definitely an experience. But again, I only bring that up because I, I think about, um, how many tears and I just say to myself, wow, what is this? So I pick up the album and, uh, I guess with that, why don't you give me your thoughts on, give me your thoughts on walls of Jericho. What, what do you like? What do you, is there anything that you don't like? What, what stands out to you? Uh, well, I have to say what, like probably sitting down and listening to it from start to finish, it dawned on me that I can't remember the last time I think I just sat down and listened to this album start to finish all, all of the tracks. Um, it's, it's rough sounding uh, from a production standpoint. That is um, a nice way to say it. I mean, uh, again, and, and credit to the time, right? You're talking about the mid '80s. A lot of this, a lot of the albums at that time, kind of suffered from this. You, you didn't have Pro Tools helping you along, but it is a it is a low budget grungy release. I, I was the best way I would put it. Right, uh, and paired with Kai Hansen's vocals at the time, which are not as polished to say the least <laughs> as they would become when he would start singing uh lead vocals with gamma ray in 1995 with the land of the free release um it was jarring to say the least i, I would like i mean going back to my first time listening to it but you know now we're kind of used to it. we've heard the album a million times but i mean it's still kind of like if you got into halloween the way we did where we had keeper of the seven keys one and two with michael kisk and we had time of the oath and master of the rings and better than raw with andy darris and then you kind of pop this thing on and you're just kind of like whoa this is uh this is kind of dark it's kind of it's kind of dreary dingy grungy like just kind of uh i i, I don't think i liked it very much initially i think it took some time for it to grow on me and i think what helped in later times was hearing the the songs performed um with the modern band like I, I recall going to see halloween uh when they busted out some songs off this album for the first time in a while and they opened the show with starlight and murder i remember and andy darris's vocals were really um like fit this album so well and, and hearing those songs to me breathe new life into them um hearing them performed in that in that way with a more modernized sound. And so I guess like going back and listening to it, it's definitely rose colored. Uh, I don't know, not glasses, but you know, hearing uh, rose colored headphones, I guess would be the way of putting it. Um, <laughs> I think you're talking these, about uh... these, these songs stand up. I mean, if you can look past the, the roughness of it, um, you know, you're talking about a powerhouse songwriting duo in Michael Wycath and Kai Hansen. Um, it's some of it, some of the songs, I mean, like Reptile is not my favorite song in the world. It's definitely one of, in my opinion, one of the weakest songs Michael Wycath wrote for the band. But I mean, there's no denying that songs like Starlight and Murderer and Warrior and Victim of Fate and Guardians and How Many Tears, like you said, um, Heavy Metal is the Law is like a, a 
80s metal anthem. Um, metal Invaders is another classic. I mean, these are some classic songs. Yeah, it's it's funny. The, the show that you're referencing, I think, was back in 2003, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was the Rabbit Don't Come Easy uh, Rabbit Don't Come Easy tour. I remember that show vividly because I remember being on the rail uh, at a club here in New York City, BB Kings, which unfortunately has since closed down. It was kind of the resident spot that all the bands would come through uh, during the 2000s. I mean, I, I saw Anger there, I saw Halloween there, I saw Ed Guy there, I saw Hammerfall there. I mean, you name it, the list goes on for all the bands. Uh, I saw Dream Theater there uh, doing like a one-off show. That that place just seemed to get all the shows going through New York City. Uh, but but to your point, they opened the show with Starlight and Murderer, and then went into Keeper of the Seven Keys. And I'm just I, I was blown away because Darius, who is not my favorite of the three vocalists, but he just did such a good job on this old material that I almost wish they would, you know, I'd like to hear him do a lot more of these songs. I'll, I'll put it to you that way. I, I kind of look at Halloween in three different baskets depending on who the singer is or was at the time and i think that walls of jericho even though it's uh you know just the the one compilation album if you will it kind of it's just so different than what they did in the keeper era and the rest of the rest of the kiss gears and and just different from what Darius did with the band and and what he's been doing with the band for the for the better part of 25 years so it's it was jarring is a good word. I did not like the album when I first heard it. I liked certain songs off the album. Uh, I always loved Ride the Sky. I loved Starlight when I first heard it. But I remember hearing Gorgar for the first time, which is a song about a pinball machine. And I said to myself, "What? what is this? Like, it was just not what I was expecting. Uh, and I think it was one of those things that kind of grew on me over time. Um, it, it, every song was hit or miss. I loved Victim of Fate. I love to ride the sky, as I, as I said, but songs like Judas and Gorgar just never really clicked with me until, I don't know, maybe the 10th or 15th listen where it really started to grow on me. And I said, you know what? There are some gems here. Once you get past the, the, the production, which is not the greatest, and Kai Hansen's vocals, which to put, him, put it nicely, were just raw. Um, he, he, got, he became a much more polished vocalist with Gamma Ray and some of his other projects. But... Um, in 1985 or 1987, when he laid down these tracks, uh, it, it was it was it, it was almost a, a struggle for him, I think, to, to get through some of this stuff, which is probably why they shifted once they heard uh, Kisk singing, uh, you know, and, and with Ill Prophecy and then and then obviously recording the Keeper albums, um, you know, a year or two later. I think another uh, another thing worth mentioning is that um, when they did bring Kisk on, they went and re-recorded Starlight and Victim of Fate with michael kisk um and i think kind of hearing those also is kind of giving you a taste of like the direction halloween was headed in i mean even from a songwriting standpoint i don't find that walls of jericho has a lot of similarities with the keeper of the seven keys albums that that followed right afterwards and i mean i would say that guardians is probably going to be your closest song that that was a song that wikey wrote um I feel like that was maybe the closest thing to what Halloween would end up becoming, which is a lot more of a melodic band. This is definitely sure. more in that kind of speed speed metal. I don't know if I would say thrash, but it is a little thrashy in spots. But I mean, um, I mean, the whole style stylistically is is very different than what um, Halloween would become. But this is what Halloween was discovered as sounding like. Yeah, the the, the evolution. One would argue that the evolution between this 
album and keeper one might be the biggest jump that they made and i don't necessarily mean jump up just it, it was just it was a different direction um this was raw this was uh fast it, this was uh aggressive and it was just not as um I guess it, it just wasn't as melodic and catchy that just grabs you at the first listen as, as the later stuff did. And even the Dara stuff, it, it was just a different album, but obviously it's what got them noticed. And, and quite frankly, at the time, very few things were like this. I mean, a lot of people credit Iron Maiden as one of their biggest influences, especially back in the early days. But I mean, Iron Maiden wasn't writing songs like this. They weren't. I mean, obviously you could see that some of the stuff was, uh, inspired by but it's certainly i mean you know iron maiden was not writing songs like phantoms of death they just weren't i mean they obviously some of the thematically it was it was similar but they were not that that dual guitars of wikey and hansen and the speed at which they were playing was just faster than anything that maiden was doing at the time it just was well and if you even go before the walls of jericho album i mean halloween made their their debut on this what was called a death metal compilation. Oddly enough, there were just two tracks that they had recorded uh, me- uh, metal invaders being one of them, which would end up on walls of Jericho. Um, I mean, talk about <laughs> like not knowing what to, to uh, classify the band as um, <laughs> to put them on a death metal compilation. I mean, I don't know that any of those bands, I believe running wild was on that compilation as well. I, I don't believe any of those bands. I don't know if any of those bands would really be considered death metal, but Halloween, I certainly even in 1985, 86, I don't think I would have uh, put them in that category. I, yeah, I, I would agree with you. Uh, having listened to a considerable amount of death metal, this, this does not qualify. Um, it's just interesting, but I guess at that point they were just looking for an outlet to get heard. And obviously they've gone on to an extremely successful career. So, uh, kudos to them for that. Um, anything else stand out about this album? Because I, when I, when I go back and listen to it, I, I, I forgot at how good, uh, Marcus Groskopf's bass playing was on this album, probably because it was hard to hear and you really have to kind of listen for it. But hit some of the bass lines on these songs are just absolutely phenomenal. And I, I, I don't want him to get overshadowed um, by the dual guitar attack of Wikey and Hanson. His bass lines on songs like Guardians and Heavy Metal is the Law, fantastic. Uh, you know, it's funny you should say that because that also stood out to me as well when i was listening it was just kind of like you know for for an album with not the greatest production values i mean i'm really noticing how strong the the bass is on on this as far as like the bass playing not the the sound of the bass but like the the bass playing of marcus groskoff and he's been one of two members of the band that have been in the band for its entire duration um he definitely made his presence felt right off the bat on, on this first album. I definitely agree with you. Um, that was something I I noticed as well. Um, I also just, it's, it's amazing to me. Like the songs are just, they just kind of run the gamut, like stylistically, um, you know, like reptile, which I mentioned before, it's not my favorite song in the world, but it's kind of just kind of like this, like kind of crunchy thrashy, like it's just, I don't know how to describe beyond that, but then you go to like a song like guardians, which is kind of, you could tell Wikey's kind of uh, pushing his signature his sound, if you will. Yeah. Or at least what would become his signature sound. Yeah. Those melodic chops that, that he would, you know, eventually write songs like Eagle fly free. Um, and then you, like, it's like phantoms of death, metal invaders, Gorgar, heavy metals law. And then you go to like how many tears, which 
was, you know, of the original album release, that was the last song and it would become like the Halloween final song anthem for many, many shows. Um, that was a song that uh, Michael Wycath wrote when he was in high school. Uh, and there's actually a uh, floating around, there's an MP3 version of it. I remember hearing a long time ago of, of his um, high school band performing it with like, I believe it was like a classical vocalist that um, he was friends with who sang it. And, but mostly piano, if I, if I remember right, it was, I don't even know if there were guitars. Yep. And the lyrics are mostly the same. It was called sea of fears, which is actually a lyric in the song. Um, That, I mean, I, as it's such a wonderful song, it's, it really still holds up. I still think the version with Michael Kisk on the uh, the live in the UK or whatever the Keepers Live, there's like three different versions of that live album. But the version with Kisk singing it is is just out of this world. It's just such a great song. So hearing that, I mean, that always stands out to me. Um, Ride the Sky is another uh, just you know seminal Halloween song. I mean, even today, like they're still playing it. Um, I love how the album, it made me laugh and I had to kind of do a little bit of, of research cause I'm not, I'm just not a horror movie guy, but I was curious uh, where the whole, you know, happy, happy Halloween intro before starlight came from. And it turns out that it was a commercial in the movie Halloween three. Um, and that's where, and they must've used it. And they were kind of recorded this little thing at the beginning. It sounds like a, like a guy is just laying around watching TV, flipping through the channels. And he stops at this uh, happy, happy Halloween silver shamrock commercial. And that's kind of how the whole album kicks off. Starlight is such a, such a banger to just kick off the album with, and then to go right into murderer and warrior and victim of fate. Um, but then here's, I wanted to bring up this because a song that I never gave enough credit to in the earlier years of being a fan that I listen to now and I'm like, damn, this is a good song is cry for freedom. It starts. Yeah. Out- it's oh, go ahead. I, I was good. I'm happy you brought this up. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say like, it starts out like a ballad. It's, it's really kind of mellow to start out. And then it just starts to like, it hits this amazing guitar solo and then kicks into like a really full speed, heavy metal song. Um, I, I don't know why, maybe just because like, those first four songs are just so kick-ass and they, and they just propel the album so fast. And then you kind of get to this next, you know, track five and it kind of slows things down. And I don't know why I, I just, I, this song came on this week when I listened to it and I was just like, man, this is a really good song. I think it's actually, there's a, they did it, the song a disservice by placing it where they did, because to your point, this, the, the album starts off so heavy and so aggressive and just one catchy song after the other. And then after Cry for Freedom is Ride the Sky, which is, you know, arguably one of their classic or if not, this, you know, one of those songs that everybody just associates with Halloween. Its placement on the album is kind of why I think it gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. And I remember uh, I'm the kind of person that I usually just listen to an album straight through because I really want to just kind of soak it all in. I think when I was younger, I used to just skip over it because it was just I, I wanted to get to Ride the Sky and some of those later tracks. Um, and I think I, I was I was guilty of skipping it over just because of where it was placed on the album, to be honest. Right. And that's just, uh, unfortunately, a victim of circumstance, because, I mean, if you had just bought the the mini LP when it came out, it would have been the last track on it. And I think it would have made for a nice like a nice little bow on a five track album. Um, sure. But I mean, you're right. Like when you tack on 
the walls of Jericho proper onto the back of that five track EP. Um, it does kind of get, you know, lost getting crammed in between victim of fate and ride the sky. Um, but man, like what a, what a great tune. Like I, I was really just kind of taken by surprise. Like, wow, that's, I feel like that's definitely, and maybe another thing too, is that like, I don't know that Halloween has ever played that song live since the walls of Jericho tour, or if they even played it then. Um, I, I could almost say for certain that um, after they started touring Keeper of the Seven Keys Part One, I don't know that they ever played it live. You know, I, I got to be honest, I have absolutely no idea. That's a great question. And if anyone out there has an answer to that, please hit us up and let us know because, you know, we don't know at all. So we certainly would welcome uh, welcome that information. And certainly if you, anyone actually saw them on this tour, we'd love to hear from you as well. Um, that being said, why don't you tell me this? If you had to recommend one album, or should I say one song from the album, what would you recommend that people check out this week? So last week, when you asked me that question, um, it was a lot easier for me for whatever reason this week. It's, it's such a hard call. Um, I will probably have to say how many tears if I had to pick one song, just because it's so anthemic in the history of the band being like their, their go-to last song live for so many years. Um, kind of, circling back to your story of hearing it live and I, I was with you. I, w- I wasn't familiar with it at the time either. And it was kind of like, Oh my God, we just saw this amazing Halloween show. They played all the classics and then they finished off with a song we never heard before. That's um, right. But um, I would probably, if I had to just pick another, like a second song, like I would, I would actually go with murderer. Um, hmm. a, a song that I didn't really, I don't think I loved it back in the day i think it was when the treasure chest compilation came out and they remixed the song and i kind of heard it with different ears a a little bit cleaned up and it really struck me as what a what a what a great song and and hearing daris perform it live also i thought really also like gave it new attention for me um so i'd say like they're two very different songs but i mean um one What's that? Have to pick one. Well, I w- like I said, I would say how many tears, but if I had to pick a, nice. a number two, uh, just for something that's a little more heavy, uh, I would go with with murderer. Well, I, I certainly recommend checking both out. I'll say this: I, I, you know, we don't discuss this before we record, so. I have two songs that I wrote down just in case you selected one of them. And the first song I had written down was How Many Tears. So I I guess I'll go to my second track, which is Ride the Sky, just because, I mean, it's a song that to this day, there's a very good chance that if you go see Gamma Ray, they're going to play that at their show just because it's, it's, it is a classic track. It has, you know, White Calf and Hanson not only writing the tracks, uh, but dueling solos. Uh, Graskoff is all over the place. Uh, It's just, uh, it's a fantastic anthem if you will and, and one of those songs that just when you hear it live it, it is it is you know it, it, it kind of it gets to you it's 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 a classic classic heavy metal song so that would be my selection but to your point uh this when when treasure chest the best of came out and they remixed and remastered murderer i mean talk about giving new life to a song they also did that with ride the sky um 
I, I, I wonder why in 2006, when they re-released the entire album, they remastered it and it certainly sounds a little bit better, but they only remixed Murder and Ride the Sky. And I would just, I, I long for an entire cleanup of this whole album just to get a sense of what it would sound like with today's uh, production tools. I I would take it a step further and say that I would love to hear them re-record the album from scratch with Kai Hansen. Uh, and just see what that sounds like with a, a modern brush. Um, I feel like that would be really kind of cool. I mean, as much as I enjoy those those remix tracks, and I would love to hear the whole album remixed that way. But um, I mean, Kai and and is back in in the Halloween camp. So <laughs> what better time? I I can't disagree with that, and uh, obviously you, you heard a couple of the tracks uh, on the most recent tour, and I know that uh, they, the band has every intention of getting back on tour as soon as possible once uh, once things with the pandemic uh, you know get get a little bit more under control. Let me ask you this: uh, one to ten, where where does this album hold up for you, especially now? I, I think that I, I think that the answer now would be a lot different than it probably would have been, uh, you know, twenty twenty two years ago. Absolutely, I mean being a self-professed historian of the band it, it, it the album is very important in where the band you know the band's roots where they began from um personally for me um it's far from a perfect album but i i, th- I also think it's far from a bad album as well i, I personally i would give it a, an 8.0 out of 10 um it's probably maybe a bit higher than, than most people might give it, but as like a Halloween fanatic, um, there's still enough stuff on here to get me super excited. Um, if they were to do, like I said, like a, a remixed version or, or just a complete re-record with Kai, I'd venture to say that it might be, I would rate it even higher than that. I, I think that it's the production value that kind of takes it down a peg and maybe songs like reptile that, maybe aren't my favorite in the world, but I mean, you're talking when it comes to like Halloween classic songs, this is an album that if you're combining everything, this is an album that includes starlight, uh, victim of fate, ride the sky guardians, metal invaders, heavy metals, law, how many tears and Judas. I mean, that's half the album right there. Those are all classic, classic, not just Halloween songs, but heavy metal songs. Um, so yeah, I I give it an eight. Um, definitely, again compared to last week, a kind of a harder question to answer. Um, but that's where I would uh, I would land. Yeah, it's funny. Just as "Cry for Freedom" is is kind of like a poor placement, in my opinion, for that particular song on this release. Halloween is a victim of their own success in many ways. Just because if you look at some of the other albums, which are some would say flawless, uh, you know, just like just perfect albums. This is not a perfect album. It's very good, but it suffers from production. And there's, you know, a couple of tracks that are, you know, I, I, I don't particularly love, but I would give it an eight as well, just because of the, how many classic, classic tracks are on here. And also just the fact that they hold up after all this time. In fact, I would say that some of these songs I actually like better now than I did 20 years ago when I first heard the album. So I, I would agree with you. I think this is a solid, a solid eight. And I also know that there were people out there, I, people had contacted me. They said that this was their best album. And that in fact, that as much as they like 
everything else, this was the pinnacle of Halloween. And while the rest may be good or great, this was as good as it got for them. And I think the real speed metal enthusiasts would agree with that just because of how many absolute, you know, thrashy, fast, aggressive songs are on this disc. And and, and some people would say that it's Kai's um, vocals that are actually the draw on this album, just because of how raw and, 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 how I guess young they were when they recorded it. It was just, it, it has something that the other albums don't necessarily have because they were all cleaned up or just presented in a little bit of a different style. Um, it, but the, the raw factor on this album is, is why some hold it in, in the highest of esteem. But to me, it's a solid eight. And obviously we'll be putting um, links in, in the description so that everyone can grab some of uh, our favorite tracks and obviously the album as a whole. And uh, I'm going to try to take a look and see if I can find that um, Sea of Fears demo for, from Whitecath and try to send that out during the week as well. It's, it's, it is not a metal song, but it's definitely something that people should listen to if you've never heard it. Yeah, and and I'd be shocked if it's not on YouTube. Um, so we could look into that. Um, I think I have a copy of it on my on my computer somewhere, but um, I'm sure we could find a, a link to somewhere on YouTube that has it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed going back and listening to this. I'm glad we got to discuss it. It's definitely um, it wasn't a starting off point as a Halloween fan for me, but I, I w- like, like you said, I wouldn't spite anybody for saying that, you know, it's their most memorable or favorite, or, or they think it's their best, uh, their favorite Halloween album or Halloween's best album. Um, we're just, uh, not old enough where, you know, we were three years old when this album came out. So, um, you know, it, it's, doesn't kind of have that feeling for me anyway, but I mean, I, I totally get it. I mean, I, I, definitely recognizes importance in in the world of power metal uh in the mid 1980s i um i have to be honest when i picked the album i had no idea that we would be sing- uh, doing this halloween weekend it, it just happened to be a uh, coincidence but uh, i can't think of a better time to cover halloween than on halloween weekend um that being said uh it is your turn to pick an album and you, you have not told me what uh what we're going to be doing next week so why don't you uh why don't you fill everybody in what what can i look forward to next week well you know it's funny i don't know why but um the fate's warning album from last week just i don't know why it just popped into my head like it just seemed like the perfect jumping off jumping off point um so that was really easy this was a lot more difficult um i wanted to pick something that a lot of people knew i wanted to pick something that i knew you have listened to a lot over the years and is important to you uh because it's very important to me um and i also didn't want to have a traditional progressive metal album and i didn't want to do a traditional power metal album since we've kind of done that already so I landed on Nightwish's Oceanborn album from 1998. And nice. That- I was not expecting that. That's uh, that is a, that is definitely a trip back in time, and obviously we have a lot to say about them because of all their iterations over the years. But that is a that is that is a great disc, and I look forward to listening to it. I I don't remember the last time I listened to that disc in its entirety. I know I've probably just shuffled Nightwish as I tend to do, um, but again, like you said, I don't really know. The last time I sat down and listened to it start to finish either. Um, but uh, I thought, yeah, I thought it would be kind of cool to go in more of a, a symphonic route for week three. Um, and I mean, what better band than Nightwish? Yeah, they really set the stage for uh, 
a, a ton of clones that have come out over the years. And I, and I don't use that term as a derogatory thing. It's just that Nightwish has inspired so much. Um, but I'm sure we'll get into that uh, next week. But Oceanborn is probably their uh, coming out party, or at least in my opinion, uh, it was kind of their coming out party. And, and since then, they've 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 done a lot. And, and some of it has been great. And some of it has been uh, a little less than stellar, but I certainly look forward to talking about Oceanborn um, next week because Nightwish is a band that I know that we both uh, thoroughly enjoyed over the years. So uh, with that, unless you have any other thoughts, we look forward to hearing uh, from, from from all of you. So please join us on all of our social media uh, outlets uh, to jump in on the discussion. And we will see you all next week when we cover Nightwish's Oceanborn album. Well, uh, I leave you with this. Happy, happy Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Happy, happy Halloween, Silver Shamrock. (laughs) Take it easy, everyone. Have a good one.